Father, as we come to you, we, we are indeed grateful and we are humble that you have blessed this congregation in these past years through all the challenges and through the difficulties and through the various seasons of life that you have preserved a, a people that have maintained and endeavored to keep the faith and to bless the community and to be a spot to praise and worship you together with other believers. And I just pray that you will be with our service today, that we can worship and honor your most holy name, that we can be uh, blessed as we reflect on the past years. Also, that we will be strengthened and encouraged to be faithful in our current generation so that future generations as time tarries can look back and be blessed to those that were faithful to you. And I just pray that you will bless each one that has part today, that uh, you will direct by your spirit for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm gonna give a brief overview of, of the program for today. And um, maybe just a comment on, the, on that. Some of you may want to have CDs of the service today, and we do not have a sign-up sheet, but see Justin Freed back at the recording station, and he'll see that you get CDs. So see Justin or his wife, and they'll see that you get CDs. Uh, Brother Sheldon Martin is our song leader for today, and he'll be leading us momentarily in a couple opening songs. Uh, Brother Jay Rohr, who's been pastor since 1996, will be having our devotional. Then uh, following his devotional, we'll have a few announcements for the congregation and um, also take up the offering. Brother Sheldon, could you maybe lead song by memory while we're taking up the offering? Then John Gehring, uh, the son of the late Jim Gehring, who was pastor here for many years, will be giving us a hundred-year history overview. Then uh, Brother James Helmuth, who was the uh, general contractor for this current building, and later, him and his wife served as deacon here. We'll be giving us memories. And I just might add that as a moderator, I'm responsible to keep things moving. So I'm asking you speakers to stay in your time constraints, or I might have to remind you. And then, after James shares his memories, um, I'll be reading a memory from someone that submitted a memory. And then I'll be opening it up to anyone in the congregation here that if you would have a memory that you could stand and, and, and share that with us as well. And uh, also partway through the service or maybe approximately halfway through the service, I'm gonna call for a 10 minute break that you can use the restrooms. We got restrooms in the basement restrooms over here in the foyer 
And then we'll have a special singing by a number of couples from our congregations. They will sing three songs. And then Brother Dave Miller, who's been minister here four years, will have the message of the morning. And then we're, everybody is invited to a fellowship meal in the basement. So we'll, we'll get started on the program for today. So Brother Sheldon, would you lead us in singing and, and, make, the, and make the walls ring when you sing? Good morning. Christian hymnal number 10. Christian hymnal number 10.
Number 639. is not a reflection of who has served here, nor who has attended here, but rather a tribute to the central figure, which is the Lord of the church, which is Jesus Christ. And he's the one that I would like to lift up this morning. I'd like to say praise his holy name. For devotional, uh, let's turn to Philippians chapter one. Brother Elam, I don't know what my time slot, I don't know what you told me. So I'm already on pins and needles. <laughs> But I'll try to keep it moving. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul Timotheus, the servant of Jesus Christ to all the saints of Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be to you 
and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. It seems to me that the Apostle Paul, he had a special relationship with the believers there at Philippi. And he desired that they would experience the fullness of Christ's riches and the peace in their hearts as they were surrendered to his lordship. In verses 3 to 5, I thought it was special. Notice the level from which Paul addressed the believers here. Not condescendingly from an, a position much higher above them, but he addressed them on the same level. He addressed it with them, not above them, but with them on the same level. And he spoke of their partnership with him in the work of the gospel, number one. They were a source of encouragement to him. Number two, they ministered financially to Paul when he was in need. And thirdly, their faithfulness. I liked it when it says, from the first day until now. When they gave their hearts to Christ, they were faithful. And even as time passed until now. Uh, and that's a blessing as we think of that. Uh, and that is true here as well. I'd like to submit to you that the encouragement that Paul received is the same encouragement that I think we have received from you as a congregation here at the Peak. Number one, I'd like to commend you. You are a warm congregation, especially to visitors. We have a visitors coming in now and then, and it seems like there's ones that, that just make it a point to make them feel welcome. I want to commend you for that. Also, I believe that you are sensitive to the physical and spiritual needs of the congregation. Uh, and more than that, not only the congregation, but to others as well. There's times when we, on Sunday morning, we give opportunity for the congregation to share prayer requests. And sometimes you just share a good many prayer requests, and that's fine, and that's great, and that's what we should be doing. Praying, supporting one another, praying for each other. That's an encouragement to us. And I'd like to bless those that have been so involved in their ministry to the club children. There's some that have invested many, much time and many hours uh, investing in the club children. I'd like to share something that I received a couple years ago. I don't know how many, but it this has been in my Bible for quite some time. It's this. It's a $50 bill. Along with a note, 
Thank you for your faithful service to the peak. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is kind of my emergency fund. Sometime I might need it. And this means more than the emergency fund. So, I have been blessed that way many times. I'm sure my brethren have, have received the same. Uh, you all are a blessing, a tremendous encouragement to us. The third thing I'd like to think about you as a congregation is the way that you give in the life of the church and you invest in the programs of the church and your faithfulness and striving to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ is a tremendous encouragement. And I'm reminded of 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's true of biological children. That's true of spiritual children. Moving on to verse 6. Paul was convinced that if the believers at Philippi, if they would continue to keep their focus on the Lord Jesus, that Jesus would continue his work of grace in their lives and bring it to completion. That's what we have desire here for you as a congregation. All of us, what is that? We want to see this bring, brought to completion. What is that completion? I believe it's when we go and Christ calls us home and we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That's when it is brought complete. That's what we're looking for. Verses 9 to 11. I think we see the heart of a caring shepherd that is bubbling to the surface here when Paul, he spoke of his prayer. He spoke of his desire for the believers there at Philippi. What did he desire? He desired that their love be multiplied, that they would be unified in their knowledge and their depth of insight, that they would have moral discernment. And we all know that faith is not based on feelings nor circumstances, but on the facts, what Christ has done for them and for us. That's what gives us faith. Um, that's what we can put our, build our foundation of our faith on, is on what Christ has done for us. And secondly, that the Philippian believers would grow in discernment, being able to judge between right and wrong, and being able to judge between good and bad. And number three, that they would be pure and blameless at the coming of the Lord. Now, if you all don't mind, I'd like to go back and read a few verses, and I'd like to paraphrase this verse and make it applicable for this morning. Drop back to verses 1 and 2. And I would paraphrase if you would allow me. From Brother Elam and Brother Dave and Jay, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus Christ here at the peak, along with Brother Claire and Brother Samuel, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 9. And this is our prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We, we would have that desire for you as a congregation at the peak. And we would have that desire for all of you uh, that we would be pure and blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. May God bless each of you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father, we come before you today with grateful hearts. We thank you that even before the foundation of the world, there was a realization that there would be need for a Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that before the foundation of the world, Jesus committed to come because he knew that we needed a Savior. It's him that we desire to lift up this morning. We thank you for the work of Christ coming to show us how to live and how to love and then ultimately giving his life's blood for each one of us. Father, we say thank you. And Father, we thank you for your work in those that founded uh, the work here in the Peak area. And we pray, Lord, your continued blessing and your continued presence among us, Lord, that you could help us to be faithful in this generation. Lord, help us to, to, to serve you faithfully. Uh, bless the rest of the service today and help us to look to you. And may Jesus be lifted up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next uh, item is a hundred year history. And so John Ralph, I believe, is going to do a good job of compressing a hundred years into 20 minutes. So let's see how that works. I was told 20 to 25 minutes. <laughs> So greetings in the name of Jesus. So this year marks 100 years uh, since, this building, since the first Peak Church building was built. But the work in the Peak community began before that building. Uh, there used to be a county schoolhouse uh, between this building and the Pentecostal Church building. Uh, an atlas from 1939 shows the two Peak Churches uh, with the schoolhouse between them and meetings were held in that school uh, before the first church building. Uh, John Wayland wrote a history of Rockingham County, Virginia, which was published in 1912, and this book has a map showing Sunday schools in Rockingham County, and it shows a Mennonite Sunday school at the Peak Schoolhouse. In 1910, there were meetings held in that schoolhouse, and they resulted in 12 people being received by water baptism. And in 1914, there were more meetings, and 16 were received as members. And it was sometime in those early years that the parents of Olin McDorman uh, joined the Mennonite Church and that Olin McDorman himself was baptized. In those early years, services were held on the second and fourth Sundays at 3.30 p.m. And also in those early years, there was talk of building a church building, uh, but that was postponed indefinitely. There was rapid growth at the peak in June of 1914, there were 67 members. But unfortunately, there was also rapid growth of difficulties. Uh, in December of that year, it was reported that there were many irregularities. But by 1922, it was decided to visit the people in the community and see if they wanted a church building. And then in 23, a portion of the school land was purchased from the Rockingham County School Board for $25 and also $10 was, played, was 
paid to a clan family for one-eleventh of an acre. Uh, much labor was donated in the construction of the building. Uh, and a carpenter named William Rhodes uh, made and donated the pulpit. Uh, one of his granddaughters was Elizabeth Good, uh, who was the wife of Paul S. Good. Uh, Paul and Elizabeth were members here in their later years. Earlier, Paul served as a, a minister in West Virginia. Uh, he should not be confused with E. Paul Good, who served as a pastor at the peak in the 40s. Uh, the pulpit has been changed a little bit uh, since it was built 100 years ago. The top has been widened, and there's been wood added around the base of it, and a microphone has been added. Uh, the dedication service was held August 19 of 1923, and if you read about that service in the history of Mennonites of Virginia, uh, you will be reading a first-hand account of the writer of that book, Harry Anthony Brunk, uh, was one of those who spoke at the dedication. Another way he was connected to the peak was that he served as a Sunday school superintendent at one time. Uh, in the early and mid-1900s, it was not unusual for a brother to be asked to serve as a Sunday school superintendent at a congregation that was not his home congregation. So a list of superintendents for a congregation may include brothers from that congregation as well as brothers from other congregations. Some of the other Sunday school superintendents at the peak were Kent Shank, Ralph Heatwell, James T. Shank, John Andrews, Lloyd Horst, Olin McDormand, David Heatwell, Irvin Burkholder, Simeon Heatwell, and Nelson Heatwell. Kent Shank was also one of those on the building committee for the peak, and he was the son-in-law of carpenter William Rhodes who built the pulpit. Kent Shank's wife it was known to some people as Aunt Fanny Kent. Uh, Kent Shank was an uncle to Ralph Heatwell, David Heatwell, Nelson Heatwell, and to Lloyd Horse's wife, Alice. At the time of the dedication in 23, uh, there were around 35 or 40 members, and the church decided to have services every Sunday. Now, to many of us, it may seem strange that there was even a question as to whether or not there would be churches every Sunday. But in the home-based churches, uh, churches' services were normally not held every Sunday. For example, Weaver's was closed on the first and third Sundays, while the bank was closed on the second and fourth Sundays. In 1925, uh, there was good interest in Sunday school at the peak, with an attendance of 75 or 100, and at communion, 39 participated. But then several years later, it was reported that the programs of the Presbyterian Church were drawing people away. And in 29, it was reported that there were about 15 faithful members. But then in 34, there were 45 members who were in the order of the church. But then in 37, it was reported that the Pentecostal church was having an influence. Attendance declined at the peak. Meetings were held with little response. Uh, not attended very well by the community. Uh, for one example of meetings being held at the peak, uh, consider meetings that were held in 1938 by Levi S. Yoder. Uh, the meetings began on Sunday, September 11, and ran through Sunday, October 2. A list of the sermons shows that during these three weeks of meetings, uh, there were two sermons each Sunday and one sermon on the other days, except for one day for which no sermon is listed. So in those three weeks, Levi Yoder preached 25 sermons. 
Uh, this information was gleaned from a portion of a list of his sermons that was supplied by his grandson, Mark Yoder. Uh, one difficulty in the history of the Peak congregation was how people with different colors of skin should relate. Uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, had a culture of segregation, and that culture influenced many Virginia Mennonites. And the second volume of the history of Mennonites in Virginia tells a little bit how the Peak congregation was affected. Now, it may be easy for us to shake our heads at how people in the past have been influenced by the surrounding culture. However, let us consider our own ways. Have we been negatively influenced by the culture around us? Are we copying crowd-pleasing practices of popular Christianity? You know, will we sell our birthright for a little bit of food that does not provide lasting fulfillment? So let's do what's right, even if it's not popular. In 1949, it was suggested that the Mount Clinton Mennonite Church should absorb the Peak congregation. Peak people went to Mount Clinton to be buried, so why not have them go to Mount Clinton while they're still alive? And so if this would be done, then the Peak building could be moved to Elkton where a church building was needed. But that idea did not come to pass. Harry Brunk's history of Mennonites in Virginia goes up to 1960. Uh, he reports that the membership at the Peak a decline to around eight or ten. So there was a question as to whether or not the work should continue. And in 59, it was decided that the bishop and pastor should study the issue and report. And the history book does not give information about what happened next. The peak belonged to the Middle District of Virginia Conference. And in 63, the Middle District was divided into three districts, one of which was the West Valley District, to which the peak congregation now belonged. And in 64, the West Valley District closed the Peak Church. People were to be encouraged to attend at Raleigh Springs. Olin McDormand had been pastor at the Peak, and according to information from his daughter, Mary Alice, he started serving as one of the pastors at Raleigh Springs along with Oliver Keener. However, Olin wanted to see the Peak reopen, and in 67, his desire was realized. Then in 1970, it was decided to add an addition to the side of the building, and under this addition would be a basement. The addition was completed in 71, and probably around that time as well was when a porch was added to the front of the building along with a roof over the porch. And that roof is currently on the side entrance of this building. In 1970, the West Valley District asked for a release from Virginia Conference. Uh, there was a significant minority of people in the West Valley District who wanted to stay with Virginia Conference. And, show, and so what should be done for a church building for them? Well, there was a committee that worked through details pertaining to the release, and in the course of the work of that committee, uh, the peak a meeting house was offered to Virginia Conference, but Virginia Conference uh, turned that down or at least the representatives did. And eventually it was decided uh, that the new conference formed from the West Valley District would uh, give a sum of money to Virginia Conference. Now after Southeastern Mennonite Conference formed in 72, uh, the first report booklet does not record congregational statistics. But the next report booklet, the 73-74 booklet, recorded 43 members at the peak. Uh, it did not record the attendance. And then three years later, the 76-77 report booklet provided more details, 
It recorded there was an attendance of 48 with a membership of 44. The Sunday school superintendents were Norman Benner and Franklin Burkholder. The song leaders were Kenneth Heatwell and Harold Campbell. The Sunday school treasurer was DeWitt Carper. The average attendance for summer Bible school was 75.1, and the superintendent was Vernon Graber. Uh, the youth sponsors were Franklin and Ann Lee Burkholder. The trustees were John Andrews and Nelson Heatwell. In 1974, a restrooms were added to the Peak Meeting House. Uh, they were in the basement, and a cistern supplied water for them. Now, as Virginia Conference continued on the path that it was on, a Branson and Letty Conley and Lawrence and Ethel May Conley moved their membership to the peak, and they have made a powerful contribution to the church. Many years before, Branson had been a deacon at the peak. Branson also served as a deacon at Gospel Hill. But then in 1981, he transferred from Gospel Hill to the peak. And although he did not have official responsibility at the peak after this transfer, he continued to serve Christ and his church. Branson was noted for telling stories and quoting poems. One poem that he would quote was, If Jesus came to your house, if Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve to him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your own home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus write in or would you rush about? And I wonder, if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you plan to go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever, on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when he at last was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you. Now, Branson Conley has passed on, but he still speaks to us today, along with other believers who have influenced our lives. Another man who decided to identify with Christ in his church was John Payne. In 1983, Lifelines reports the baptism of John Payne at the peak on September 25. 
Then around 1990, John Payne moved to Bridgewater home, and the congregation occasionally went to sing for him, along with others who listened. And eventually, the congregation adopted the practice of singing there the first Wednesday of the month, which is our current practice. And the responses of the residents show that this time of worship is a blessing to them, and it can also be a blessing to the people from the Peak congregation. In the early 90s, Peak people helped to sponsor refugees from Ukraine. For some time, a Ukrainians worshiped with us on Sunday mornings. And it's good for those of us who have experienced religious freedom to interact with believers who have been under religious oppression. And Ukrainians have expressed sincere uh, thankfulness for the help that they have received, even many years after receiving the help. Uh, interactions with Ukrainians uh, led to the recognition of an opportunity for outreach at Mosby Court. And so in 93, the congregation held a summer Bible school at Mosby Court, in addition to the one that was held at the peak. In 1990, the average attendance at the peak was reported to be 54. There was no intermediate Sunday school class and there was no youth class. And then sometime during the 90s, a small building was brought in, placed next to the side entrance and was used as a youth class. In 1996, it was reported that the average attendance was 87. And it was also reported that revival meetings were changed from the spring to the fall. And now more recently, they've been changed from the fall to the spring. Sometime in the 90s, a ramp for wheelchair access was added to the front of the church. And also sometime in the 90s, padded benches replaced the old wooden benches. Many of the old benches were used at a pavilion in West Virginia on the land where the North Fork Church is now located. When the old benches were still in use at the peak, someone sitting at the end of one of those benches pressed his fingers against the side of the bench and a thin layer of wood collapsed over top of a termite tunnel. Uh, perhaps there is a spiritual lesson in that for us. Wood may look fine on the outside but have internal damage that comes to light under pressure. Uh, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes shall have mercy. In the 90s, uh, there were discussions about possibly adding to the meeting house or building a new one. Uh, the wooden structure was inspected and it was reported that there was termite damage. Uh, perhaps there's a spiritual lesson in that for us. You know, we ought to be on guard against spiritual termites that would destroy the peak church from within. Termites such as pride and gossip and stubbornness and discord sowing and irreverence and conformity to the world. Eventually, it was decided to go ahead and build a new meeting house. And also during the 90s, more land was purchased, a well was drilled, and a fence was built. And in 99, construction began. Costs were cut significantly because of donated labor. The new meeting house was built in two phases since the entryway would be partially over where the old building had been located. The last service in the old building was on Wednesday, January 9 of 2000. Then services were held in the basement 
of the new building, and the old building was torn down, and the rest of the new building was completed. And on Wednesday, August 23, 2000, the congregation met for the first service to be held upstairs in this room. Since then, more land has been purchased, and the property now includes the land on which the Peak Schoolhouse once stood where services were first held. A wood from the old building uh, was used to make a deacon's bench for Franklin and Annalee Burkholder. Uh, doors from the old building were used in the basement of a house built by Jim and Ida Gehring, and several of the padded benches from the old building are still here, but many of them uh, went to the North Fork congregation in West Virginia. Some of the deacons who served at the peak are Branson Conley, David Barnhart, Arlen Snyder, Franklin Burkholder, James Helmuth, and Samuel Gehring. Branson Conley and David Barnhart were ordained deacons at the same service at Weaver's during which Simeon Heatwell and Daniel Brubaker were ordained ministers. Uh, Daniel Brubaker's wife, Nellie, was a granddaughter of carpenter Will Rhodes who built the pulpit. Some of those who've had bishop responsibility at the peak are D.W. Lehman, Lloyd Horst, Lester Heatwell, H. Eldwin Campbell, Nathan Hurst, and Claire Heatwell. And some of those who have served as pastors are E. Paul Good, James T. Shank, D. Witt Heatwell, Oliver Keener, Olin McDormand, Merle Ruth, Chester Heatwell, Lloyd Hartzler, James Gehring, J. Rohr, Ilum Heatwell, John Risser, and Dave Miller. Now some may wonder why John Risser is in the list of pastors rather than bishops. Uh, after he had retired from bishop responsibility in our conference, he was called out of retirement to serve as a pastor at the peak. In Luke 18.8, our Lord Jesus asked, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I believe that if he comes today that he will find faith at the Peak Mennonite Church. If he comes 20 years from now, or 50 years from now, or 100 years from now, will he find faith at the Peak Mennonite Church? We are currently experiencing many blessings because of the faithfulness of saints who have gone before us. Will our lives leave blessings for those who come after us? You know, if we go the path of a nonchalant, lukewarm, casual attitude regarding Christ and his church, we may continue to experience certain blessings for a while. However, that way of living is not spiritually sustainable. The faithfulness of saints who have preceded us has resulted in a spiritual momentum that blesses us. We have been entrusted with much. May we not be sources of friction who decrease that spiritual momentum. Instead, may our lives add to that spiritual momentum so that what has been blessing to us can continue to be a blessing as it blesses those who come after us. God has been good to us. May we love him with our whole being. Thank you, John, for that concise report. And that was a wonderful overview. He mentioned a pulpit uh, several times. And uh, just give you this tidbit, about three weeks ago, I got a call from uh, Dwayne Good, which is a son of Paul and Elizabeth Good that, that went here. 
for a number of years, and he said that his brother Lyndon was here from Ohio, and they want to come see the pulpit. And so I agreed to meet them up here on a Thursday afternoon. When I got here, there was, there was a total of four people here. And so uh, Edwin Good and Lyndon Good and Dwayne Good and their cousin Carl Rhodes from Richmond was here. He wanted to see the pulpit also. So I brought them in here and, and they looked over and this here was, I think, their greatest marvel how, how he could, a will could inlay that wood with the tools of his day. And um, so we talked a while and then uh, a couple of us went outside and Lyndon and Carl was still inside and we was over here under the oak tree and, and uh, Dwayne said, did you know Carl just wrote a book? And I said, well, no. He said, the book's title is Peggy's War. And Peggy lived during the Civil War, and Peggy, in that book, was the mother of Will Rhodes that built this pulpit. And that book was released in July, and it's available today, locally, if you want to buy it. And it's a historical fiction of what the Mennonites faced the conscientious objectors in the Civil War. So I bought a copy from Duane, and then when, Will, when Carl, the author of the book, comes out, I said, well, hey, let's have a book signing here under the oak tree. And, and so we did. And he signed, my, he signed my copy, and he put in there that I was a direct descendant of Doc Heatwell that's in the book. And uh, so, um, Will Rhodes also built Dale Enterprise School and, and some other things in the area, but, but his mother lived during the Civil War, and her experiences are portrayed in that book. Uh, next on our list is Brother James Helmuth sharing memories. Good evening, this morning. I did that on purpose, because it seems like all of a sudden we're at the sunset of our lives, some of us. I see a lot of young faces out there, but uh, it doesn't seem so many years ago we were attending here, and they're gone. <laughs> they're gone so fast. It's good to be here today, greet, greet you in Jesus' name, greet you in those from the Boyer Hill congregation as well. As John was sharing, he had his facts down straight. I don't have so many figures and dates as you do, John, but I thoroughly enjoyed what you had to share. Some of those dates were amazing and what has transpired over the years. I didn't quite know where to start. I'd looked up the word memory. It's the capacity of remembering something that is past. And you know, as I know, as we get older, that tends to fade. Someone told me not so long ago that we actually don't lose our memory. We just pack so much in there that it seems like we do because we got more to remember, more grandchildren come along, more people we learn to know, and it just packs it full. And so we haven't lost it. We're just adding so much more, and it's hard to analyze it all. 
But there's other things that fade with time. Our hearing and the hair, the strength. You can't see it, but I have a torn meniscus in my one knee and I'm doctoring for it. And there's all kinds of things that come along that, that either fall off or break or don't work as well as we get older. I see the older ones smiling. Your turn's coming back there. <laughs> it's amazing how fast that happens. You can't do what we used to do. We used to just twist open a jar lid and it was bingo. There you go, honey. And now it's nobody look. <clears throat> well, the life of the church is its people. And so I want to talk about people. You shared some about some of the people. And I went over my list several times, thought I had them all. And on the way over here, I run past my wife and Richard. And I thought, well, I have them pretty well covered. You know, they named another half a dozen of them. So if you felt like some of your relatives were left out, it was not by design or intent. And I'm sorry if I did that. But I like to go over a number of them. First, I want to read a verse in Hebrews 12, verses, or two verses, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, which is talking about the previous chapter, those of faith that had died and gone on. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. That was brought out numerous times already this morning, and we still need to do that, continue to keep doing that. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's a mandate there. He wants us to be faithful because of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Can you imagine with me what's going on in heaven this morning? We can but dream about it. Their meeting is far exceeds this one. We look like a pretty motley bunch, if the truth be known, compared to what's going on in glory today. I'm sorry, if you came and you dressed up in your best, and that's fine, and that's good, we should do so. I'm not trying to minimize that. But heaven, in all its glory, far exceeds what we can comprehend. Far exceeds it. And the ones I want to mention... I can only imagine what they're experiencing. So I want to go down my list of people. Olin and Catherine McDormand were, were mentioned. They were a sweet couple from the community that reached out to the community people. Olin understood the community people like few had because that's where he come from. Olin and Catherine both. I remember Olin as being bald, and he had a quivery voice when he preached. You remember that, those of you that were here when he was here? I just, I don't know, that endeared me to him. I loved visiting with him. I don't know if this was right or not, but I did anyhow. I visited with him just to hear his quivery voice, and he blessed me. Mary Alice, their daughter, worked at CLP for many years. She liked to tease because I did too, and so she'd dish it right back. They, they loved the Lord and they loved his people, and I'm going to quote that most every time after each person. 
John and Mamie, Andrew, John and Mamie Andrews. Mamie drove school bus. The children loved her, and she did her job well. No cutting up on her bus, as I understand it. She had a distinctive sneeze that would make a person smile. It was a loud sneeze. Sometimes people would jump when she sneezed. John had a trait that I haven't seen in too many churches. While the preacher was preaching, he would just bust out and ask a question. I wonder what would happen if you would do that here to your ministry. Might be a good trait. Put them on the spot, see where they stand. He did it in church, in front of everybody. I've had it happen a few times in our small church, but not so often. I remember when we went Christmas caroling for him one year, he came to the door with a bowl of popcorn, and he wanted to share his popcorn with all those that came to his door. Well, the gust of wind came along and blew a bunch of his popcorn right out of the bowl, out across the road, and he stood there, and he thought it was so funny. We were reaching for it, and it was gone. And there's probably some symbolism to that too, John Ralph. Before we know it, years roll on past. Branson and Letty Conley, wonderful couple with, I believe, 15 children to their name. I think they had 15 children. And I could identify with that man. I, we don't have 15 children, but I come from a family of 16. I was number 10 in that, so I could feel a connection with Branson. They were both easy to talk to and a great contribution to the church. I remember one Sunday morning, though, when I was Sunday school superintendent, I was talking about old age and how we fade, just like I mentioned earlier, we fade. And I said, I read a statistic recently that says that we lose taste buds. We can't taste like we used to taste. Because we get older, they die off. And it was a new thing to me, and he, he spoke up while I was on the floor. And he said, what did he say? I turned the page too soon, he's on the... I want to get it verbatim, what he said. He spoke up. He said, Brother, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to disagree with you. And I said, Really? Why? I mean, you talk about being put on the spot. I thought I had my facts wrong. And then he came back with this answer. He said, My wife cooking tastes just as good as now as it did the day I got married to her. <laughs> They both love the Lord. What an example. Levi and Evelyn Batterman, both on their quieter side. He was bald as well, and a mechanic in a Bridgewater, I think at the airport down there for a good many years. Evelyn was petite and neat. She kept her house cleaned and organized. But I remember, and here is all about life and the experiences we go through. I remember one Sunday morning, I thought her shake was so weak, so I give it a little extra squeeze just for, you know, emphasis. And she pulled back, she says, you hurt my hand. And I said, I'm sorry. And, you know, since that experience, I've been gent tried to be more gentle to the elderly. And I would advise the young men, whippersnappers, as they were sometimes called, do the same. Be gentle to the, to the elderly. But I appreciated her advice. I remember telling Levi one Sunday, he had a blue shirt on. I said, Levi, you look... You look good in a blue shirt. And I meant it. I didn't mean it as just bragging on him, but I just thought he looked good in a blue shirt. It just showed up his colors, I guess. And he said, well, thank you. And I remember he blushed a little bit. 
But then after that, I noticed he wore his blue shirt fairly often. <laughs> and the only advice I give to you from that is compliment one another, encourage one another, and so much the more so as you see the day approaching, whether it's a blue or a white shirt. Give an encouragement. Eldon Rhodes. I enjoyed visiting with Eldon. I remember him being more concerned about others, even when his own health was failing. I can hear I can hear him say, How's it how's it going, James? He loved the Lord. Paul and Elizabeth Good. Close to Brent to Brenda and I's heart because in essence we took his place at Boyer Hill, took their place. You know, there's still people in West Virginia that call him Mr. and Mrs. Good. Mr. and Mrs. Good. Not Paul and Elizabeth, it was Mr. and Mrs. Good. It was a sign of respect. <clears throat> they both enjoyed life and it showed as they in interacted with others. One quote he would often give when I'd ask him about past memory, which is what we're doing this morning. He said, land sake, James, I've forgotten more than I ever learned. How do you equate that one? But that's what he'd say. They were good to their dying day. And they loved the Lord. Franklin Burkholder. Kind. Giving. Compassionate. Franklin, he had a heart for people. It was a privilege to have him as a deacon mentor. I remember our first communion, which was here at this church, this building, when he and Anna Lee and Brenda and I made preparation. He said, now we don't want a water too cold or too hot. We don't want to freeze their toes, neither do we want to scald them. And we giggled in the basement as we prepared the water. He would often slip some money to somebody in need. He loved the Lord. Jim Gehring, our pastor. I can still hear him preach some 200 years ago. His distinctive voice. He knew his Bible and he knew how to relate to people. He was enthused about this building. You know, he was wanting to go ahead with it even before we had the total amount. Or I didn't think we had the total amount. I said, didn't we vote that we want 100%? No, they said 80%. Let's get the ball rolling on this thing. And we did. A lot of volunteers came here. And I didn't have this in my notes, but I, Jay and I had a little antic when we'd pick on each other. We'd throw our hats off and say, well, I don't think so. And one evening, my wife was here with the camera, and he was down there insulating up between the divider walls, up on the ladder, and the camera was on him. He didn't know it. And I said, Jim, you, want it. you don't have to insulate that section. Go to the next one. And he pulled his hat off and threw it down. So I ain't going <clears> to. <throat> and I said, Jim, the camera's on you. And his face turned red, and he said, what? And... Then he laughed. He laughed so hard, he got off the ladder, he had to wipe his eyes, he was laughing so hard. 
<clears throat> I miss his advice and his kindness. He was a kind man, and he loved the Lord. Lawrence Conley was a kind, gentle man. He enjoyed, I enjoyed visiting with him. He loved to hunt turkey and other game, and he had a sense of humor. Soon after I started growing a beard, he met me at the, at the door just before we went out to go home, shook my hand, he leaned in close, and he said, got any rabbits in that bush? <laughs> Ethel May punched him on the arm and said, Lawrence! And he said, well, I was just picking on him. <clears throat> <laughs> I've tried to keep him out. Here's some people that you may, some of the older ones may not have known too well. Bessie Shoemaker. She was a quiet, dark-skinned lady that would often invite us into her home. I don't know too much about her, but I know she loved the Lord. Lloyd and Alma Hartzler. He knew the Bible as few do. He knew how to lead discussion and made the word come alive. Thrived in that. So enjoyed to be under his teaching. They loved the church, the people of God, and longed to see faithfulness. They loved the Lord. Fanny Hoover. She's gone as well. Her favorite song was, I have decided to follow Jesus. Every chance she got, she would say that, and we'd sing it for her. She loved the Lord. Joyce Heatwell, my sister-in-law, always giving of her time and talent and material to others and wanted no recognition. You know, this congregation, doesn't, I don't think, know the half of all she did. And since she's gone, I feel at liberty to say a few there was a family that had fragmented, and she went in, took their laundry, took them home, and washed them, took them back, and wanted nobody to know about it. She did lots of other acts of kindness that were a great example. She passed away at the young age of 55. She loved her family, her grandchildren, and she loved the Lord. Evangeline Spinner. Is she still living? No. She lived over here. Small house. She was a cleaning lady. She cleaned this church for a good many years. She was robbed once by a sham carpet salesman. Two men came to her door, and while one guy held the carpet in front of her, showing the wonderful attributes of carpet, the other guy was back in her house and stealing money out of her closet, some, some rare coins and took the whole box, as I understand it. But when we went to see her sometime later, she laughed, she said, it was so dumb of me, I should have known they were up to something. But she didn't chew him out or lament the fact she lost some money. She just said, I'm glad I'm okay. Could have been worse. She loved the Lord. Paul Gaines, he was on the quieter side. And he wasn't the most eloquent speaker, but that was okay. He loved to be where God's people were. He loved the Lord. Carlin Gray Stonesiver, active in the life of the church, and I remember Carl being usher, being usher in the old church. 
and he did his job well. He did something that we were taught in Bible school you never do. And I reminded him of it and said, well, that's the way we do here at the peak. And he's kept on doing it. And that was he'd stand down front here and he'd motion people, come up. Right here's this room. Come on up. Well, you better move up there. If you didn't, he's coming back after you. <clears throat> I appreciate that in a man. Wasn't, wasn't scared to step out and, and help people along. They loved the Lord. Carl and Grace loved the Lord. Randall Nicely, a cheerful lad who drowned in a pond, son of Keith and Michelle. He is with the Lord. Alpha Charlton had a difficult life, a very difficult life, but always so grateful for what she had. She had told us once that the reason Moses was a basket case because he had to lead all those people out of Egypt. That was her comment. She was reading her Bible. Chester Heatwell, our pastor before Jim, he had the gift of organization and gave good advice from experience he had gleaned in life. He contributed much to the church, both materially and spiritually. Before his passing, a group of us went Christmas caroling to him and Louise, and he thanked us over and over. To me, it's easy to sing to those that are like that, grateful. I still miss him. He contributed much to the material well-being of this church. I remember he had some excavating equipment, and him and his boys brought him here, and as I recall, there was no charge, and they spent a lot of time and effort to get the hole dug and prepared for us to build it. Appreciated Chester a lot, and I still miss him. He loved the Lord. Honorable mention, I'd like to mention a man named, before I do that, I'd like to mention Mother and Daddy. They served here before we came here. A good many years. Um, and we, I guess I was going to mention this, over the, we started here in 78, I believe it was, and it was 2004 when we left, so it was 27 years. But in those, in the middle of those years, Ren and I, our family attended McGackisville, uh, helped out there for some time. I forget how many years that was. I didn't look at the records. But in conclusion, do you know how much that the people in your generation influence your life and you them especially when they love the Lord so here's two questions a verse and a story what is the one thing you'd like others to remember about you at the end of your life the one thing Write it down and stick it into your billfold or your purse. If you knew that everyone you know was going to die tomorrow, who would you visit today? Psalm 90 verse 10 says, The days of our years are threescore and ten, which is seventy. Seventy. 
And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, which is 80, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. Kind of in that order, too. For it is soon cut off, comma, what do we do next? We fly away. You ready to fly? It won't be long. Now for the story. The title of it is On the Day I Die. On the day I die, a lot will happen. The world will be busy. On the day I die, all the important appointments, the important point appointments I have made will be left unattended. The many plans I had yet to complete will remain forever undone. The calendar that ruled so many of my days will now be irrelevant to me. All the material things I chased and guarded and treasured will be left in the hands of others to care for or to discard, whichever they choose. On the day I die, the words of my critics, which so burdened me, will cease to sting or capture my attention anymore. They will be unable to touch me. The arguments I believed I'd, believed, I believed I'd won here will not serve me or bring me any satisfaction or solace whatsoever on the day I die. All my noisy incoming notifications, texts, and calls will go unanswered. Their great urgency will be quieted. My many nagging regrets will all be resigned to the past where they should have always been anyway on the day I die. Every superficial worry about my body that I ever labored over, about my waistline or hairline or frown lines, will fade away. My carefully crafted image, the one I worked so hard to shape for others here, will be left to them to complete anyway on the day I die. The sterling reputation I once struggled so greatly to maintain will be of little concern for me anymore. All the small and large anxieties that stole sleep from me each night will be rendered powerless on the day I die. Isn't that wonderful? The deep and towering mysteries of life, about life and death that consume my mind, will finally be clarified in a way that it could never be while I lived. These things will certainly all be true on the day that I die. Yet, for, much, for as much as will happen on that day, there is one more thing that will happen. On the day I die, the few people who really know and truly love me will grieve deeply. They will feel a void. They will feel cheated. They will not feel ready. They will feel as though part of them has died as well. And on, and on that day, more than anything in the world, they will want more time with me. I know this from those I love and grieve over. And so, knowing this, while I'm still alive, I'll try to remember that my time with them is finite and fleeting. And so very precious. And I'll do my best not to waste a second of it. Don't let your life be stolen every day by all that you believe matters because on the day you die, much of it simply will not matter. Yes, 
you and I will die one day. And while we live, let us live for Jesus, because on the day that I die, I will face him face to face. Lord bless you all.